Good morning, this is Dr. Gangwares, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is the 13th day of February, 2024. This is going to be chapter number six in our first biochemical mosaic, where we're locking down to phosphatidic acid phosphatase as a core event in the potentiation of hypoxia-induced tumorigenesis, amongst other normal physiological and pathophysiological results. Hypoxia itself and then the subsequent stabilization of the transcription factor known as HIF1-alpha will inhibit mTORC1. And now that will result in a dephosphorylation, of course, of all the downstream mTORC, because it's a kinase, target ribosomal protein S6 in uh, wild type, but also in cells where the YME1L has been ablated. Remember, that's the protease, intermitochondrial protease. So, Consistent with all of that, with the inhibition of mTORC, regulating the M, the YME1L protease, glutamine starvation, which is also, okay, starvation, which is also known to inhibit mTORC1, will induce the degradation of the YME1L substrates. So, the YME1L substrates decrease in wild-type cells and obviously not in those cells where that enzyme is lacking. Okay? So you have inhibitors of mTORC like rapamycin or torin-1, which can be shown to regulate this whole pathway. Now, I want you to get into an understanding of the HIF1-alpha in more detail. <clears throat> majority of the mutations in oncogenesis fall into only a few categories. One is, of course, the activation of an oncogene, and the other is the inactivation of TSGs, tumor suppressor genes. So when you talk about inactivation of tumor suppressor genes, you can generate within a cell line, a hypomorph, an antimorph, or an amorph. And if you activate an oncogene, that's called a hypermorph. Just, you know, it's nomenclature in oncogenesis. Now, there's been a great deal of genomic sequencing involved in examining what kinds of mutations might be involved in what looks like a vectorial promotion of oncogenesis and tumorigenesis. Remember why I'm going over this. Yesterday, just yesterday, I mentioned to you that the adaptation or the pirating of a normal physiological response due to, for example, carbon source, you know, fatty acid versus amino acid versus glucose, that system is rigged or set up or maintained to be poised so that 
any conditions which might alter the bioenergetic stasis was going to alter mitochondrial morphogenesis, either fission, fusion, or simply stasis. And that that protease and the GTPase dynamine that we've started these lectures on are poised to be able to regulate that response, along with the um, proteins in the on the outer membrane of the mitochondria, which regulate more aspects of fission. So fusion related to inner membrane, fission to outer membrane. Okay, remember that? Those are the two distinctions. Those are the ones in the outer membrane that he calls the MFTs. I think there were two isoforms of those. those were, there were. All right. <clears throat> so, so remember that. Now, if you have a gain of some kind of oncogenic function that will allow for, for, allow for example, independent growth from attachment, That could be called a gain of function. And when you have a cell line like that, that's called a neomorph. So obviously, cancer research is interested in neomorphic mutation. And specifically, that means altering the potency, and that would be a quantitative measure, or the substrate specificity that would be a qualitative measure in terms of categorical uh, observations for a given, say, polypeptide or lipid. So taking the same uh, derivative after transcription translation, polypeptide, but now repositioning it in such a way, maybe expressing it in a different organelle or translocating it, maybe making it now amphibolic or preventing its amphibolic nature that is moving safe from the cytoplasm and nucleus and back could then generate a neomorphic alteration without even really generating a change in the protein's normal activity let's say it's an enzyme okay or transcription factor but it will change because you're altering its residency um, a qualitative aspect and also quantitative because how much of the protein that may have normally resided on the outer regions of the endoplasmic reticulum will make it into the nucleus after this given mutation. See? Now, there are also temporal alterations and ability for the protein to be less or more frequently um, visited by proteases to either convert it into more potent or less potent forms, or to completely annihilate it from the cell. Those kind of mutations as well, you have to keep in mind. So the neomorphic mutations can be found in tumor suppressor genes. And they're going to produce a polypeptide with a different function, respective to the wild-type protein. So... These neomorphic mutations then are going to give you a great deal of pathophenotypic signatures, some of which may be occult until late in a tumorogenesis um, sequence, 
or very early on and then disappear. So when you're studying this, you have to understand what the normal players are in that basal alteration of mitochondrial fission fusion stasis upon stimulation and then subsequent recovery. And this could be, again, a stress response and, of course, inducing a stress response that could limit, for example, uh, glycoprotein synthesis in the particulate, or alter transcription factors in the nucleus, or enhance the expression of genes that are associated with that stress response. For example, uh, lipoxygenase genes. Or maybe even if it's an immune cell, or if it's an epithelial or endothelial cell, which are also capable of producing pro-inflammatory cytokines, either the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines or the inhibition thereof. Yeah. So that's why this nomenclature is out there. So now, poxy-inducible factor one, alpha. What is its normal function, right? I think I've mentioned it in the course of the mosaic, but let's give it to you now in a more sterile understanding. Just think about the protein front and center, solo on the cellular stage. What it does is orchestrate the cellular adaptation simply to low oxygen and also, and you can see why these are related in an aerobic organism, to nutrient deficiency. And when that occurs, there is often a progression. If you're talking already about the initial events after an oncogenic event, there could be a progression to full malignancy in a human tumor. So the normal regulation of an enzyme called proleal hydroxylase, these are nicknamed PhDs, uh, which occur in normoxia. The, the PhDs in normoxia induce degradation, whereas hypoxia allows stabilization of HIF1-alpha. So you have a protagonist-antagonist regulating HIF1-alpha. Now, sometimes, though, HIF1-alpha regulation can be moved off that spectrum of events that is uh, stabilized, unstabilized. So now the level of external oxygen may involve a proleal hydroxylase independent regulation of HIF1-alpha. Okay? So the non-canonical HIF1-alpha regulation is going to be linked to mitochondrial respiratory complex damage or stabilization. And this is going to be linked directly back to HIF1-alpha, which is, as you know, a transcription factor. So HIF1-alpha is the major orchestrator of cellular adaptation. And in normoxia, the PhDs hydroxylate HIF1-alpha at two specific proline residues. 
and that occurs in an oxygen-dependent degradation domain, which will then trigger the von Hippel-Lindau-mediated ubiquitinylation and proteosomal degradation of F1-alpha. So after you get the prohydroxylase, uh, altering the two proline residues, HIP1-alpha, it's set up then for ubiquitinylation, uh, proteasomal degradation. Now, same time, there is the factor inhibiting um, HIF. Now, this is called FIH. All right. Now, that particular protein is an asparaginyl hydroxylase. And it's regulated in many ways similar to the PhDs in an oxygen-dependent manner. And what this FIH does as an asparaginyl hydroxylase is suppress HIF-1-alpha transcriptional activity in normoxia. And it does it not by degrading HIF-1-alpha, but by preventing coactor recruitment to the TF complex. Now, what happens in hypoxia? Those are normoxia events. See? In hypoxia, what happens is you get an inhibition of the proleal hydroxylase. Now, what's that going to do? It's going to stabilize the HIF-1-alpha. When it's stabilized, it's going to translocate vectorially to the nucleus. It's going to dimerize, and it's going to dimerize with constitutively expressed HIF-1-beta. Now, that's going to create a HIF-1-complex, okay? And that's going to trigger the transcription of genes promoting glycolysis angiogenesis, autophagy, and cell survival. So the activation of HIF-1-alpha is also a physiological event. I told you these, are ba these proteins have normal physiological uh, functions. So when you activate HIF-1-alpha during embryogenesis, that is what is supposed to occur, as well as in wound healing. But in cancer, HIF-1-alpha is associated with malignancy and very poor pro prognosis once it's detected. So what does that say? Okay, use your logical um, premises and conclusions. It suggested abnormal stabilization of HIF-1-alpha and then subsequent upregulation of the downstream targets of that transcription factor are going to be associated with solid tumor progress toward malignancy. Okay, more detail. So in canonical regulation of HIF-1-alpha, and we're talking about stability, in normoxia, the proleal hydroxylase will hydroxylate hypoxia-inducible factor 1-alpha on those two proline residues. And then that will trigger the von Hippel proteolytic degradation after ubiquitinylation, right? Now, the hydroxylation reaction is coupled to something else. 
it's coupled to the conversion of alpha-ketoglutarate to succinate and carbon dioxide. And that requires cofactors ascorbate and ferrous Fe2 iron. Now in hypoxia, hydroxylation is inhibited and the HIF1-alpha dimerizes with the constitutively expressed HIF1-beta, as I just told you, creating the active simply HIF1 complex, which transcribes those genes I just mentioned to you. Okay. All right, so now you understand that you have another substrate. Now, why did I bring that up? Because alpha-ketoglutarate comes from glutamate. If glutaminolysis is occurring, so that's a source of alpha-KG for the PhD reaction. And if the PhD reaction occurs, what happens to the whole process downstream HIF-1-alpha? Well, it stops. And HIF-1-alpha is an enzyme that's linked when it's not occurring correctly. When it's, when it's inappropriately stabilized, that's associated with oncogenesis and promotion of malignancy, tumorigenesis. You see? So glutaminolysis then can serve what? It should provide alpha-ketoglutarate, which would be the substrate for the, the co-substrate for the PhD, right? So, and remember making succinate, so that you would lead down that pathway of destruction of HIF1-alpha. So something has to prevent that from happening. One is the alpha-ketoglutarate is not going to be available for a substrate for the PhD reaction. Obviously, that would be because alpha ketoglutarate will continue on the TCA cycle. And that's exactly what it does. Okay? So, when you look at oxygen-independent regulation of HIF-1-alpha stability, it was found in tumors harboring a succinate dehydrogenase and a fumarate hydratase mutation. Okay. That's succinate dehydrogenase, not, not isocitrate dehydrogenase, succinate dehydrogenase. So it's SDH and fumarate hydratase, both having mutations. And it was shown that the SDH inhibition would stabilize HIF-1-alpha and normoxia because of increased concentrations of succinate. And remember, that's a product of the PhD reaction. Not only is it a product, but it's an allosteric inhibitor of the PhD reaction. Okay. Now, what that gave um, concept to was the idea that not only do you have neomorphs, hypomorphs, and hypermorphs, right, in an alteration, mutational alteration of, say, polypeptides, but you also have the production of potential oncometabolites. Oncometabolites, right? And these oncometabolites could simply be a corruption of the normal regulation of an event of enzymatic activities that would remove a potential neomorphic alteration of a transcription factor, now allowing it to become an oncogenic event. You see? 
So these alkyl metabolites can be promotive and they can be inhibitory. All right. So this whole idea of alkyl metabolites started then keying in on the TCA. Why? Because what, I, what compounds are we talking about here? Succinate, fumarate, isocitrate, alpha-ketoglutarate. Those are tricarboxylic acid intermediates. All right? So it's an entirely different way of understanding the TCA pathways. Okay? So then you have to ask the question, what could possibly trigger these normal metabolites from becoming oncometabolites? And so that goes back to understanding how tumor suppressors work. Tumor suppressors in the context of HIF-1-alpha regulation. And in that context, pyruvate and lactate might promote what's known as pseudo-hypoxia, whereas the PhD substrate alpha-ketoglutarate, as well as the PhD cofactors, what I told you those were, ascorbic acid and ferrous ion, would, were then shown to confer a dose-dependent HIF-1-alpha destabilization in hypoxia. So let's play this out. Alpha-ketoglutarate increases PhD affinity for oxygen, and that will promote HIF-1-alpha hydroxylation and then degradation at those low oxygen tensions. Okay? So accordingly, this pseudonormoxia is observed in cells which are nicotinamide nucleotide transhydrogenase deficient. Now that is to do with complex one in the electron transport chain malfunction. So what do we talk about with the protease? The protease at high enough concentrations, that YME1L protease, associated with the HIF1-alpha, regulated by it, can start degrading inner mitochondrial polypeptides. That's exactly what would happen then. This, this, that, the NADH enzyme, complex one, you say? All right. Otherwise known as the NAD transhydrogenase. It's another term for it. Another name for the same enzyme. All right. Now that will lead to NADH accumulation. And NADH accumulation will start to back up the TCA pathway. And that will increase alpha-ketoglutarate. Now, you see how this works. But conversely now, okay, the mitochondrial <clears throat> isocitrate dehydrogenase, 3-alpha isoform overexpression, <clears throat> decreases, of course, alpha-ketoglutarate concentrations, and at the same time will promote, because of that decrease in, in alpha-KG, it will promote what? HIF-1-alpha stability. So there are multiple enzymatic reactions that are 
proximal and distal to this system, which help regulate what would now become oncometabolite molecular concentrations associated around the HIF-1-alpha being regulated by normal TCA intermediate cycling with the introduction of the carbon coming from glutamine. Okay. So you see how this is a, an interesting target for cancer. Because if we can understand that system, which I'm telling you is, is rather complex, we might be able to understand what are the points in those pathways where the regulation of so-called oncometabolites can be rendered non-oncogenic, okay, by using inhibitors or maybe short hairpin RNAs to control in situ in the mitochondria some of the components of the TCA, tricarboxylic acid pathway, you see, or, and or the introduction of carbon into that, anaplerotically, such as with glutamine. Alright. Now this is linked back. I just told you pyruvate and lactator play a role here. So this is linked back all the way to what? Glycolysis, cytosolic glycolysis. Right? Those two end products of cytosolic glycolysis could either be pyruvate or lactate. Or pyruvate, of course, can be converted to acetyl CoA or uh, or even do oxalacetic acid via the carboxylase. Right? Second reaction by the carboxylase, first reaction by ruby dehydrogenase, of course. Alright. Now, there is the L2-hydroxyglutarate that I mentioned last time, which can be produced from the introduction of glutamine for glutaminolysis. And the L-isomer 2-hydroxyglutarate promotes if one alpha stabilization. I did mention that to you two lectures ago. Okay. Now, as it, as it which is very interesting, what will that what what can occur is that the R isomer or R exact enantiomer of 2-hydroxyglutarate actually can activate PhD. Okay. So, just whether which enantiomer you have of 2 hydroxyglutarate can either promote stabilization of HIF 1 alpha or can activate the PhD, the proleyl hydroxylase, removing HIF 1 alpha. Okay? So, is that an oncometabolite or an anti oncometabolite? Well, it depends on what enantiomer you're talking about. And the other enantiomer will occur. Okay, so let's go through this. Non-canonical regulation of one alpha stability. This is the non-canonical. So this is what we're talking about, the, the promotion of what is known as pseudonormoxia or pseudohypoxia. Okay, so pseudonormoxia would be what? Well, pseudonormoxia is going to be alpha-ketoglutarate, ferrocyanin, ascorbate. 
right? Whereas pseudo-hypoxia is going to involve higher levels of succinate, fumarate, pyruvate, and lactate. So in that latter one, succinate, fumarate, pyruvate, lactate, you're going to block PhD. But in pseudonormoxia, you're going to activate PhD with high levels of alpha KG, iron, and ascorbate. Of course, because those are the, those are, those are uh, co-substrates and cofactors for the enzyme. All right. Now, the PhD, as you know, can be um, can activate then the von Hippel to then remove HIF one alpha. But in the activating state, that won't occur. So HIF-1-alpha will be maintained as a transcription factor. Okay? So you understand how this works. Let me, let me play it out. Let me, let me write it out a little bit more to you. I got to check my time. That's a lot of detail. I admit it would be nice if I was showing you diagrams of this. And uh, it really reminds me, I've got to start doing uh, video lectures, but I think you're following me and you might be thankful now because I checked my time and I have to stop here because I was going to go into more detail about what's going on here. And I'm going to start next lecture precisely where we're leaving off now. Promise. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast, finishing off morning lecture on 13th of February, 2024. Um, saying bye for now.